boy and black family. Hayes and the fur babies are here. Getting ready to stream Professor Black Truth's new uh, content this morning. It's about 16 or 18 minutes long. Hello, fellow soldiers. I'm the professor, and this is the moment of truth. Before I begin this morning's briefing, I'd like to give a mention to your world, a.k.a. Mr. Superboy, for having brought up this particular piece. He's often been quoted as saying that the U.S. was founded by thieves, slaves, and opportunists. It's pretty obvious to tell which is which, by the way. Clearly, people in the white media are getting more nervous about black folks in California and reparations and the dangerous precedent that would set if black people are successful in this endeavor. So now we see the tried and true strategy of trying to muddy the waters, dilute the issue, and throw everybody else into the mix. Last year, they tried it with LGBT reparations. This year, they're saying Native American reparations. The white media is saying if black Californians get reparations, then Native Americans in California are owed reparations too, or at the very least, we can't be having a conversation about black Californians getting reparations without bringing up Native Americans. Everybody needs to be mentioned. But what doesn't get mentioned is that Native Americans in California have already been getting reparations. Just last year, while black folks were being told we need a study, we got to look into this. Uh, there'll be a task force who will look at it, maybe do some recommendations. For Native Americans, they said, okay, here's a plot of land right here in Oakland, California. No study group required, no reparations task force, no, well, let's see what the governor says. We'll see if they sign off on it. Well, maybe the state legislature doesn't like the proposal. They didn't do any of that. They just said, here's some land. They're doing this for Native Americans right now in California. They've been doing it. While black folks are being told, we got to wait. Oh, we got to look at it. Uh, we got to talk about it some more. So Native Americans have already been getting reparations in California. How are they talking as if, oh, ain't nobody giving us nothing? They've been giving us stuff for the longest time. It's documented. And notice that nobody's saying, well, you Native Americans, that happened a long time ago. Nobody ever says that to me. They're not trying those BS talking points that they keep trying to use against us. For everybody else, it never matters how long ago their mistreatment happened. And another thing that never gets thrown in other groups' faces is how many of those Native Americans, in fact, were collaborators with the Europeans. How Native American groups helped the Europeans to invade and take land from other Native American groups and to even wipe out a few. And how many of those Native Americans actually became spokespeople for the white government after these genocidal land grabs took place? That never gets brought up. Nobody ever tries to say, well, weren't some of your people involved? These were Native Americans who were helping to kill other Native Americans. They don't do that. They just say, okay, here's the check. Be on your way. But understand, this is being done as a distraction from us. And at the same time, to make a lane to give benefits to other people. Because while they're telling us that we have to have studies first, and we need to have a few dozen research groups first, and oh, that process is going to take years and years for all these other groups, they're never made to jump through any hoops. They say that they want some money, and they get it. This is meant to set up more of the same. And we keep seeing this over and over again. Whenever black people are asserting our rights, asserting our interests, and demanding what we're owed, other groups all of a sudden start getting things. All of a sudden the government's going, well, here's something for these other groups. Now, if Native Americans have a serious issue, then I think we need to have a serious conversation about the Red Indians and race. Native Americans have already gotten reparations. That's the first thing that needs to be mentioned 
anytime someone talks about California Native Americans reparations, they've already gotten them nationwide. They're already getting all kinds of money and land and policies exclusively for them. And it's been this way for over 120 years. They still have a Bureau of Indian Affairs in the White House. They're already being compensated many, many times over, including control of land that is theirs. Native Americans, in fact, were the very first group in America to get reparations, and they have steadily been receiving it every day ever since, and often it's been done at black people's expense. This is about maintaining a racial pecking order, where everybody else gets more than black people do. In fact, everybody else gets things and black people get nothing. When black people assert ourselves, when black people start demanding what we're owed, well, you're not getting anything, and just to make sure you get the message, everybody else is getting something. Now, if we're going to be talking about Native Americans and reparations, then one of the things that we need to mention is the Native Americans took part in the slave trade. And more recently, they ganged up on the black members of the Cherokee tribe to vote them out. And why did they vote the black members of those tribes out? Because the government said that they were going to be giving money to these Native American tribes out there in Oklahoma. So you had racist Indians who ganged up on the black members of their own tribe just to make sure those black people didn't get anything. They singled them out. And what about the white members of the tribe? Well, nothing happened. And then three years ago, during the so-called racial reckoning that black people brought about, our taking to the streets and our demands for justice gave enough political momentum to Native Americans that even the Supreme Court felt compelled to declare that half of the state of Oklahoma could be considered Indian territory for certain legal causes, such as criminal prosecutions. Basically, what they did was they limited the ability of the Oklahoma state prosecutors to be able to go after Native Americans, so only tribal courts could prosecute. Now, Red Indians rejoiced when this happened because this expanded and greatly augmented their own political sovereignty over the lands that they controlled. But it would never have happened without black people. I've only seen one, maybe two red Indians who ever acknowledged this fact. In the NBC piece on your screen, a Native American activist said, gratitude goes from Native people right now to Black Lives Matter because they have, from the beginning of their founding, had it baked into their whole process to defend other minorities as well because it's really hard for only 2% of the whole population to even seem to matter, much less summon some kind of energy behind it. That's what she said, and she's absolutely right. Without the political and social pressure that black people were bringing to bear, there's no way in hell the Supreme Court would have given the Native Americans anything. But as far as her whole, we're just 2% of the population business, that 2% of the population has been given land by the federal government. They have more governmental economic benefits than black people have ever had, even though we're 13% of the population, and we're the ones who actually make things happen. We're the ones who made it possible for them to get what they got, and yet we, 13% of the population, are completely and thoroughly overlooked and ignored. 2% of the population has gotten federal money, legal sovereignty, and programs and benefits exclusively for them. So what's she complaining about? Clearly, that 2% of the population matters a hell of a lot more than the 13% of the population who actually drives this country towards something resembling civilization. When it came time to talk about Native Americans and what they were going to get in Oklahoma, that 2% of the population was allowed to do whatever they wanted to make sure that they got it for themselves. But notice that she admits that Black Lives Matters was trying to encompass everyone. 
these other groups understand exactly what happens when black folks do the kumbaya thing. It always backfires in our faces. Why is it that we don't see any sort of racial reckoning by Native Americans who racially purge black tribe members? A lot of these other groups, they want to have it both ways. They want to engage in blatant anti-black racism and to work hand-in-hand with white supremacy when it comes to mistreating us. But then those exact same people want to come running to us when white power is calling them redskins or is starting to abuse them. To talk about any alleged racism against Native Americans without mentioning their historical targeting of black people is to tell a lie. Red Indians allied themselves with the Europeans. They fought against other Native American tribes, and they worked to reinforce and sustain slavery. They took part in the slave trade. You had a lot of these Native Americans who were themselves slave owners, owning black people. That doesn't get mentioned, though, does it? They helped to establish and prop up white supremacy. They did their part in helping to sustain this monster that is now attacking them. Their problem is that their white supremacist allies turned on them. That's the part that they don't like. But as we see, neither the Trail of Tears nor any of the other brutality white supremacy inflicted on them was ever enough for them to stop their own anti-black racism. So the same racist Indians in Oklahoma who carried out a racial purge of black people who they admitted were only being expelled because of their skin color, they have been the beneficiaries of black people's fight for justice. They've benefited enormously. And now they're saying that there shouldn't be any mention of black people in reparations unless they're included too. Same thing Alexandria Cortez was talking about with Latinos. Everybody operates out of the exact same playbook when it comes to jumping on black folks' coattails. The Native Americans were hateful and arrogant in their anti-black racism. This is well documented. And of all the crimes a group can commit, the very worst is to betray those who help We helped them 150 years ago when no one else would and no one else could. We helped them in the 20th century when they piggybacked off the civil rights movement, which we made possible because we tried to make the civil rights movement into an empowerment struggle for all non-white people, just like Black Lives Matters. And these other people of color, like the Asians, Hispanics, and the Indians, they turned right around and said they were only campaigning for themselves. Muhammad Ali sacrificed his entire career, his livelihood, damn near his life, just to stand in solidarity with the Vietnamese. The entire reason that he lost his boxing license was because he refused to fight in the Vietnam War. You'll recall he famously said that no Vietnamese ever called me nigger. Well, that's because they were over there in Southeast Asia. But as soon as they began emigrating to the U.S., that's exactly what they started doing. They called Muhammad Ali a nigger and called every black person they met a nigger too. We have made it possible for all of these other groups to be able to prosper and merely just to live their lives. And we did it at tremendous expense to ourselves. But how were we repaid for what we did? How were we repaid for doing things for them that they were incapable of doing themselves? As we saw with the black Cherokee tribe members in Oklahoma, racial targeting was the repayment. And they were being kicked out so that these other people could take the black tribal members' money which is no different than the reason that these white racial marauders went on their rampages in Rosewood, Tulsa, and other black Wall Streets. At the root of all those white marauding murder sprees was the putrid hatred of seeing black people with any money. That sets off these anti-black racists faster than anything. And I'm not just talking about the white supremacists. You got a whole bunch of non-white racists who get mega-triggered when they see black people with any money. It fundamentally offends them. It fundamentally angers them. And that was the sole motivation when you had the Cherokee tribe in Oklahoma who attacked their own black tribal members.
members? And who among these Native American groups stood with the black tribe members? Who said, hey, this can't be allowed to stand. We're not going to be carrying out the kind of racism that was carried out against us. Which one of them objected to it? None. Now, after that Supreme Court ruling in 2020, you had a number of these Native American groups who apparently thought to themselves, well, we were able to swing off of black folks' coattails, and we got something that we wanted, and we don't have to be in solidarity with black people. I mean, after all, they're beneath us, so we'll just walk off and be on our way. Ah, but as soon as black people stopped getting turned up, the Supreme Court immediately changed its mind about its ruling and said that Oklahoma state prosecutors could go right back after people on Indian territory after all. They largely, not completely, but they largely reversed their ruling from just two years earlier. What had changed? There were no more black people who were putting pressure on the system. So that 2% of the population who had historically ganged up on black people to purge them and drive them out of their tribes, now they were going to have to fight these fights on their own. And we see how it's going. Now, these Native American groups have gone out of their way to show how racist they are against black people for no reason whatsoever. It's not as if black people did anything against them, and yet they hold as much contempt as any of these white supremacists. And while it's true that there's a bunch of $5 Indians, that is white people falsely claiming to be Native Americans because their ancestors paid $5 to get put on the Dawes Rolls. The truth is a lot of those red Indians are just as bad, if not worse. Read up on how they collaborated in the slave trade and worked as slave catchers. A lot of Native American groups allied themselves with the Confederacy during the Civil War. So these same people are now saying that if black people in California get something well, they demand that they get something too. And to do it on the grounds that there's some sort of commonality between them and black people on this issue, there is not. While not all Native Americans have been overtly racist, way too many have. These anti-black racists in the Native American community are the first to say, well, black people were mistreated, but they always throw in that but, which means to disregard whatever came before it. A lot of trolls and lurkers pretend not to know why we tell everyone that we're only speaking up for ourselves now, and everybody else is going to have to hold their own. Well, this is the reason why. We've got a broken back from 150 years of carrying the load to make sure that everybody else is treated humanely while we get slapped in the face by those exact same entities. So is anyone going to tell these Native Americans that none of them suffered the trail of tears, or that none of them was displaced, so they're not entitled to anything? that nobody in living memory can claim to have been run off their Native American land. Of course not. They haven't done it in 140 years. They're not about to start those talking points now. They only reserve that cop-out for when they're talking to us. When Native Americans were getting their reparations and getting their land and everything else, did anyone see black people trying to hijack the white media coverage and say, well, if you're going to give anything to Native Americans, what about us? We don't do that to anyone else. So why are they trying that with us? Everyone does the same thing. They have no, absolutely nothing to do with us until there's something they want, or until white power is slapping them around. Then they try to link themselves to us, and the instant they think they've got what they wanted, they turn right around and show us their behinds. That's what happened when the Native Americans got that ruling from the Supreme Court two years ago. They figured, well, why shouldn't we say thank you to black people? That? Why should we show any solidarity with them at all? We got what we wanted, and that's just the way it goes. Well, this is just another example of why we have no friends. And if anyone else thinks that they're going to dilute or derail our reparations claim, or that they're going to opportunistically capitalize on it by having other people say, well, 
we are all people of color and we are all victims of white supremacy. All I have to say to that talking point is, what's this we stuff, white man? Good day and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Cloud Walker Z, Fan Fan Duran, Cancel Account, Dia Williams, and Aisha Sarpon. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you. Morning, Black family. Hayes and the Fur Babies are here. Got Lisa Cabrera content coming up explaining how this uh, carpet muncher Jean-Claude Pierre dances around the question of reparations asked by April Ryan, another White House reporter coon. and how come the White House, they haven't really come out to say they support any type of financial restitution. And I want y'all to hear how she dances around and dodges the bullet and everything so she don't have to really give a good definitive answer. And she just says the typical things, they support a study. How much darn studying? do you need to do on slavery? You know, we already know that the study thing is just a stall tactic. And we've been known this since HR 40 came out. The study, we said it from the beginning, the study is a stall tactic. And they're still harping on this study. And they know they don't want this thing to go beyond that. And we know it too. That's why we're just forging ahead with this. We don't care what you say. We don't care what you don't like. We don't care what you say we're not going to get. We're forging ahead. And there is a lot of fear out here, y'all, that we may possibly get it. That's why you got the GOP down there in Texas coming up with a bill. Anybody that gives any type of restitution for reparations, you're not going to be eligible for financial funding. Personally, I don't think they're going to be able to push that through. You know, you know how easy it would be to fight that being that you gave others reparation and you didn't put measures in place to block those reparations from going through. So all of a sudden, when it's for us, you need to come up with some measure to block it. I don't think you're going to get any traction with it. I really don't. So I want y'all to listen to how she answers this question from April Ryan. It is very clear. Joe Biden don't want to do squat for us. It is too obvious. 
White House is recognizing Juneteenth, uh, which is Monday. Now, with that said, the issue of reparations continues to be something that is being parsed out uh, on the other side of Pennsylvania Avenue. And with that said, um, you know, like John Conyers started with, you know, a step. Now you have uh, Congresswoman Bush not just asking for a study, but she's creating a resolution to push forward our reparations. What does this White House believe when it comes to this controversial issue of repairing a wrong for the descendants of Africans in this nation? So, um, as you mentioned, Juneteenth, there was a concert here uh, yesterday, and uh, we saw how powerful and how moved uh, the president was uh, by the concert and by um, kind of the story that was laid out through the concert about Juneteenth and how important that moment was. Uh, Opal, as you know, uh, was here, and uh, it's always moving to hear her and to see her. And uh, and as you know, the president signed uh, signed um, Juneteenth to be the most recent holiday about two years ago. So I think that shows from that action, I'll, I'll give you more, I think that shows from that action how important the president thinks uh, this moment is, how important he thinks that it's, it is important to uh, continue to lift up uh, the African-American community and he'll continue to do so. As it relates to reparations, I, I saw just moments ago uh, 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 Corey Bush's uh, resolution. We haven't reviewed the proposal yet, some new proposals, so we'll take a look at it. So I can't comment on that specifically. But the president has been really clear when it, as it relates to uh, uh, reparation. He wants to see a study of reparations. And, that, and studying the continuing impacts of slavery, he believes that is incredibly important. The study, the study concludes what many uh, thought leaders and, and civil rights leaders have said. What next? Does the president support a payout? Because the nation is divided on this. It's been one of the biggest issues over the decades about how to repair the enslavement over generations of Africans this country for free labor. So what does the president do after? What what will he lean in on after a study, um, which is expected to basically say what many of the civil rights and thought these black thought leaders have said. Does the president believe in a financial uh, repair for the descendants of Africans in this nation? So I will say this, we got to let the study move forward, we got to let's see what the study shows, uh, and we got to continue to study the impact of slavery. That is something that the president believes that we need to do, so that's incredibly important. But I will say, uh, April, and you know this, you've covered this since we walked into this administration, uh, when we think about the crises that we see in our country, right, the president called out how race, race inequality uh, is a problem, right, is a crisis for us in this moment which is why he is taking comprehensive action. When we think about what he did on the first couple of days that he walked in, put, signing an executive order to make sure on the federal level that we put equity at the center, at the center of this. And it is important that we continue to do this. How do we deal with the inequalities that we see uh, in, in this country? And he's trying to do that on the federal level. So let's see what the study shows. It is important uh, to continue to study the, the continuing impacts, if you will, on, uh, on slavery, and I think because of the president's action, he's been very clear. He's been very clear how important it is, even just looking at the, his economic policy, how important it is to leave no one behind, have equity at the center of everything that he's done. If you look at every piece of historic 
a piece of legislation that has passed, that he has signed, it has equity at the center of that. And that's because the president has that in mind, right, to make sure that we have equality, to make sure that we leave no one behind. Okay, so you heard her answer, right? Study, 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 study. And oh, he's for the study, but nobody's asking if he's for the study. You know, when are you going to take the next step and cut the checks? And she just harped on study, study, you know, you know, this is why there are so many that said they are not voting for Joe Biden this time around. And there's fear. You know, there is fear. They know they haven't done nothing for us the entire four years. And what did Joe Biden say? Oh, you have my back. I'm going to have yours. Well, I tell you what, he must have some senility about that because he hasn't done a thing. Not one thing. So, look, they can keep harping on studies. We're, we want you to progress from that to cut the check. That's it. We don't need to talk about no more studies or anything else. Cut the check. Please leave your comment and subscribe. Don't forget to hit on the notification bell. And I'll see you on the next video. Peace, family. Content from Lisa Cabrera. This one's about 18 minutes long. to me 
I just would sit there and look at. I knew the when you hear something from them folks over and over and over and over, chances are you're listening to a lie. You're listening to something that is absolutely false. Passed over for a black man. The labor department disagrees. Yes, you get rid of affirmative action and now people will speak. The truth is really going to come out now. It's really going to come out. Casual assertion of racial bias against white men in hiring decisions aren't supported by the unemployment numbers. Yeah, so they're just babbling up a lot. And now they're admitting it. They wanted a person of color or its cousin. No one wants to hire a white guy right now. Since when? Since when y'all get jobs that you're not even qualified for. So anyway, just rejoiners are casually asserting as often to be accepted facts these days. Being a white man, they claim makes it harder to get hired, especially in elite positions. Maybe you just don't belong there. Maybe you don't get the elite positions because you really truly don't belong there. Since the Supreme Court curtailing the use of race and university admissions, corporate diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives are being targeted as discriminatory. The labor market data, however, supports the opposite conclusion. White men have every advantage. Just like we always knew, the easiest way to see this is in the unemployment numbers for white and black men across different levels of education. As a rule, unemployment falls as education levels rise. Last month, the jobless rate for workers who did not complete high school was 6%, but it was 2% of those with an advantaged degree. All right, so dig deeper though, and you'll find that black men don't accrue the same advantage from education as their white peers. Instead, a step behind rule applies. Black men have the unemployment rate of white men a tier beneath them educationally, as in the labor market treats black men with a college degree, the same as a white man without one. So we know that it's just like a black woman with a college education is treated like a, a white a person that just achieved high school. We know you, you have been doing this stuff out here. I mean, this is not shocking to anybody. Compare white men who didn't finish high school with black men who did. Through the 80s, white male high school dropouts had a lower unemployment rate than black men who finished high school. Well, all you got to do is look at the face that's doing the hiring. That's all. Just look at the face of the person that's doing the hiring and you will understand why it's like this out here. All right, so 
Since the 1990s, the two groups have had similar unemployment rates. The gaps persist for men with more education as well. Black men with an advanced degree, such as law, medicine, business, historically had higher unemployment rates than white men with just a bachelor's degree to their name. The difference has closed over the past five years, though that's hardly a victory considering black men still have a much harder time finding jobs than their similar highly educated white counterparts. For decades, economists have relied on an audit study to estimate racial discrimination in the labor market. Identical resumes are sent in response to a job application with some small feature varied. The callback response differential is attributed to a small feature. Such studies are highly regarded in their methodology, rigor, and are considered as close to controlled experiments as economists can get. We do y'all were lying. Oh, I, I didn't get the job. A black guy got the job over me. We knew y'all were lying. So anyway, they are highly consistent. Looking back decades, it's been twice as hard to get a resume response if you are a black sounding person. They mean with those names like Keisha Jamal, or if you have a, a, a name that sounds what they call white, Emily, Gregory, then you will more than likely get a callback. Such discrimination is not limited to the bottom or top of the labor market either. Audit studies have concluded that among those with less education, white men, with a criminal record are more likely to be called back for a job than a black man without one. So, so much for the black guy got the job over you. Y'all so, oh, y'all lie about every damn thing. So anyway, let's, let's keep pressing on. At the same time, white graduates from flagship public schools are as likely to get a call back as black graduates from elite schools like Harvard or Stanford. So they can go to a mediocre public school and get a call back over a black man that went to Ivy League. So how is that black guy getting the job over you? Y'all such liars. Oh, y'all lie and lie and lie and then come back and tell more. So anyway, pandemic labor market upheaval and a sharpened focus on racial inequities worked in 2020 in favor of white and black women applying for jobs as accountants. One recent study found, but even here, bias against black men persists. So even during the pandemic, when black men were applying for jobs, they were still showing all kinds of racial bias. And yes, the white men were getting the jobs. So black men are discriminated against in hiring 
and they have higher unemployment as a result. Labor economists predict these facts combined to produce uh, occupational crowding, the sort of black workers into jobs they are overqualified for. Yeah, they love doing that too. They love doing that, especially, you know who gets hit with that? Black college students. When they first get out, what they do is they shut them out of the, you know, their profession that they went to school for, where white students can go right into what they went to school for. So if they went to school for accounting, they can dive right into an accounting job. They'll lock black students out. And while they're locked out, the white students are now gaining all kinds of experience. They've been doing that forever. So they'll give you a job that you're way overqualified for. They're willing to do that, but they're not going to give you the job that you went to school for. They've been notorious for doing that forever. And we know why. They're, they're trying to put their people in there. So anyway, um, so the, the sorting of black workers in jobs, they are overqualified for and an underrepresentation in high wage occupations. Yeah, so their people can gain all the experience while you're shut out. They've been doing that forever. So even in 2021, after widespread corporate commitments to diversity and wake of George Floyd's murder, White men on average made up 58% of senior officers and managers across major industries. White women made 25%, while black men and women each had 2% representation. Okay, so with 2%, how does somebody take some damn job from you? Right. Maybe you just suck at work. Maybe that's why you didn't get the job. So anyway... Higher unemployment discrimination in hiring, underrepresentation in high paying jobs, all of these tribute to the pay gap that persists between white and black workers, which is a staggering 20% among college educated. The difference between white and black men offers some of the stark comparisons, but similar dynamics play out for other workers of color to some degree with similar results. The labor market does not treat all workers equally. Yes, we've been through that. Where does that leave white men who feel or even hold that they have been passed over in hiring? No, maybe you got passed over because you didn't come across that great in the interview. I used to be a manager. I interviewed a lot of white people. Some were good at the interview and some were not. They didn't come across good at all. Now I'm just saying, I know it for a fact. I was a senior manager. So anyway, moving on, y'all don't all interview well. You may think you do, but you don't. All right, <clears throat> the labor market data offers cold comfort beyond that, meaning that 
a claim that white men are passed over for jobs with evidence for deep skepticism. They're saying the data they got don't support this garbage they've been running around and saying for decades, oh, I got passed over for a black guy, oh, a black person took my, I, I got. They said the data does not support what they are saying. And if they were passed over, occupational crowding and persistent pay gaps serve as a reminder that the candidate of color may have been some combination of more qualified and lower paid. And that's the truth. Many of us walk in with more experience than these people that are whining. Even taking on rate on face, I'm sorry, even taking on face value, though a Passover white man may not significantly uh, be racial bias, as one might assume, the context for picking a person of color to elevate someone from an underrepresented group is just that, a marker of underrepresentation. Passing over a qualified white male candidate for diversity's sake necessitates the white male where they are overrepresented in the workplace in the first place. And that's true. I worked in companies and there were over a thousand workers and the black people you could count on one hand. If anything, white males and females are overrepresented on jobs out here. You're not underrepresented anywhere. You're overrepresented. I do agree with that. Okay, so um, even taking on face value, though a Passover white man, you know, I did read that part, they are generally overrepresented in the workforce. Passing over a qualified white male candidate, you know, maybe that Passover is because you just didn't cut it during the interview. You just didn't cut it. All right, so in another data point on how deeply the labor market disadvantages workers of color, that's what it says, y'all. Y'all know what they write. Even as it leaves some white males holding the short straw, the problem with passing over a qualified white man is that it's a last-ditch effort, a grasp for a quick fix, for a truly incredible and pervasive problem. And it illustrates why this problem, which is a distortion in our labor market, it hurts all of us at the end. So yeah, so y'all running around telling this fairy tale that you're passed over for black man is, is a farce. They're pretty much calling you a liar in this article. They said the data don't match what you're saying. And it's not enough of us out in the workforce to be taking your jobs like that. 
So anyway, y'all, please tell me what you think about this story. I'm glad these kind of stories are coming out because we knew these folks were lying. They always try to make it seem like they're getting a raw deal and there's no raw deal given to them at all, especially when the article says, if anything, white males are overrepresented out here in the workforce. So there you go. Please leave your comment and subscribe. Don't forget to hit on the notification bell, and I'll see you on the next